The pursuit of joy is a universal human endeavor. All of us want a life of happiness and contentment, but the circumstances of life seem to undermine that pursuit at every turn. Philippians is a letter written by a man named Paul from a jail cell in Rome, and though his circumstances are grim, he writes of a joy found not in our where we are, but rather in who we are and who we know. For in Jesus, there is always reason to rejoice. Well, that's great. Uh, it's great. I don't know if, you're, if you should be applauding yet, uh, but it's awesome. Awesome to see you. So good to be here with you today. Um, just really special for me to get to uh, spend this Sunday with you. It was years ago now uh, that a few of us elders from Westside met here with the elders of, of Hyde Creek Church, which was, which was a church formerly uh, in this building. Uh, and we were in that back room over there, which looked a little bit different than what it looks like today. Uh, and we were praying. We were on our knees together and praying that God would do a new work in this place, that he would just bring a new, bring new life, bring a new, uh, just do work of his spirit uh, and start a new community here. And here we are. So for me, I've been so excited to be here with you today. It's the first time I've got to come back uh, since, you know, the initial kind of launch stuff was happening. So just a privilege and a pleasure. Uh, as, as she mentioned, sorry, I forgot your name, but as was mentioned, uh, I am Matt from Westside Church, one of the pastors over there. I'm the lead pastor of Westside. Westside's downtown uh, Vancouver. Next week, you'll, you'll get a visit from Norm, uh, who's our senior pastor. And so we're both really excited to be with you these next couple of weeks. We were with Matt and Don in Quebec, so she said they're there for a church planning, you know, church planning kind of thing. That's not actually true anymore. Now they're just taking time off. So just, just so you're aware of that, uh, we were all there together, and now I don't even know what they're doing there. They're just hanging out, uh, so I'm here. But we had a great time. In fact, my wife and I were able to catch a lunch with Matt and Don. I uh, just enjoyed it so much. Uh, would you please grab your Bible? Uh, you're in the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 2, verse 19 today. So chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Let me read the text for us once all the way through. Uh, then I'll pray and we'll just jump right into it. So again, Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Here's what we read there. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for, for what we were already singing about together this morning. Uh, the incredible grace that we have in Jesus, the fact that, Lord, in, in you, that it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. It doesn't matter uh, whether we're in seasons of storm or seasons of calm, Lord, that we have learned to say in Jesus that it is well with our souls. 
Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters who are here in this room this morning making up this brand new church plant. And I also thank you, Lord, for those here who wouldn't identify uh, as your family yet. They wouldn't maybe call themselves Christians. Father, I pray uh, for peace in this room. I pray for just a removal of distraction and that as we go to your word, as we unpack this text together, that you would speak to us in a way that only you can, that you would move by the power of your spirit. Father, work through me in that way. Please don't allow me to be a distraction or anything here, but just, Lord, let us see you. Let us see you more clearly today so that we could enjoy you more fully as we go from here. In Jesus' name, I pray all of this. Amen. All right, so if you've been around the last few weeks, you know that the book of Philippians is essentially a thank you letter, right? This is Paul, the missionary and the apostle. He's writing a letter back to the Philippian church because they've just sent him a man named Epaphroditus, who we're going to look at a little bit later, a man named Epaphroditus with some support, right? So some financial support. And then the plan was for this guy called Epaphroditus, for him to stay and hang out with Paul and help in any way that he possibly could. So Paul actually at this point is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church with this letter. It's a thank you note. And as we come to chapter two, uh, what we have here, man, is just some of the most beautiful and practical theology that you'll find in all of scripture. Philippians chapter two is incredible. In fact, when I heard I was preaching Philippians two, I was so excited until I read my text. (laughs) Like Philippians two is amazing, man. And I wanted the first four verses. Or I wanted, you know, verses 5 to 11. Or I wanted verses 12 to 18. They're so incredibly beautiful. And then I read my text, and it's like, you know, I'm going to send Timothy to you. You know, and by the way, I'm sending Epaphroditus also. Right, so we get, this, we get this text, Just it's a greeting, and Paul's just saying, look, I'm going to send you some people. It's very practical today what Paul is saying, but there's just some amazing beauty laid out for, here, for us in this chapter. Essentially, what chapter 2 is, is a call. So if you're someone who would identify as a Christian, if you're someone say, you know, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I follow him, I walk with God, if that's you, then you're in view in this chapter. Paul is telling us that what it means to be Christian, what it means to live faithfully with God, is really simple. It means that we live unified, not divided. It means that we put others before ourselves. We, we consider them more, more important than we consider ourselves. It means we give our lives to the working out of our salvation. You saw that last week. And it means we do all of it by the power of God's spirit. In short, what Paul's saying is that the faithful Christian life is one that emulates Jesus. So again, it's a call. And I, I want to be clear, uh, when we look at this call in chapter 2, I want us just to be really honest with ourselves. I want us to be honest with each other. This call isn't for everybody in some senses. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there are some here today who are probably not, not Christians. Maybe you wouldn't identify that way uh, at, at all. And so, you know, this call isn't primarily directed towards you. If that's you and you're here, I just want you to know, you know, this text isn't speaking to you directly today, but hopefully you can learn a lot about walking with Jesus in it anyways. But more importantly, more to the point, there are some of us who, who claim the name of Jesus, call ourselves Christians, but actually we're not that interested in walking with him. We're actually not that focused or that, that passionate. We're, our lives aren't being you know, designed around sort of the pursuit of God and what it means to be filled with his spirit and to walk in step with him, that his life would be our lives. And so if that's you, and if you can just get honest with yourself today and, and uh, just realize that or, or come to that realization, then, then, you, should, then you, would, you would see that you know, this call doesn't really apply to me either. 
But you know, and I, I'm not saying that this morning uh, because I'm trying to be hard on you or anything like that. I'm saying that because I think in the church today, we have to do a far better job of helping people understand there's no, there's, there's no reason in the Christian church to fake it till we make it. I mean, there's no reason in the Christian church to pretend to be something that we're not. We need to get honest with ourselves and honest with each other. Where we're walking with God, we should celebrate that as we'll see. But also when we don't feel, you know, this, this impulse uh, to walk with the Spirit, we need to get honest with that as well. And so if that's you here this morning, and we're going to talk about what it means to grow in Jesus, what this call looks like, I don't want you to fake it today. I don't want you to sit there and just absorb the information and think that by virtue of the fact that you're hearing what I'm saying, that you're sort of, you know, you're, you're accomplishing this. I just want us to get real with each other and say, no, probably not. But I also come here and I also say that with, you know, I say something like that with great confidence in a room like this because even without knowing many of you, because uh, I do know some of you from, from past ministries and different things, but even without knowing most of you, I, I know that most of you, many of you are here by virtue of the fact that you've become part of this brand new church plant, this new thing that God's doing, you're saying, man, I'm signing up for this. I want what God wants for me. I want to grow in Jesus. I want to put myself in an environment where there's no option but to grow in Jesus. Whatever category you find yourself in today, though, um, we're going to see today in chapter 2 uh, what it looks like to grow in Jesus. So Paul actually breaks the flow of his writing in verse 19 to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he's doing that because he's actually stopping to give a living illustration of all that he said so far. He wanted the Philippian church to see what it looks like when we put into practice all these things that he's called us to. So as we walk through this text, and as we look at both Timothy and Epaphroditus, we're going to see four things. If you're taking notes, four common realities of growing in Jesus. Four common realities that you and I need to be prepared for and expecting in our lives if we're actually going to walk with Christ. After we look at the four of these, uh, the, these four common realities, we'll respond together. So let's jump right into it in verse 19. Have a look at that with me. Paul writes this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, we know quite a bit about Timothy from some of our other New Testament letters. But all you need to know for today uh, is that Timothy was marked by two little words. Two little words that we just read in verse 20. The words are genuine concern. Timothy and Timothy's like as his life, as Paul holds him up as an example for the Philippian church of what it looks like to grow in Christ, Timothy's life was marked by genuine concern for others. That's amazing. I mean, Timothy, Timothy never, have to, never had to pretend to love people. It's a marker of growing in Jesus, genuine concern for others. I mean, maybe some of us have been faking it already this morning. Is it possible that you've already walked in here today and, and been throwing around questions like, you know, how are you? Without actually even caring about the answer. Now, how's your genuine concern for others? It's easy to notice a lack of genuine concern. You're talking to someone, they're looking over your shoulder, they're looking behind you, they're kind of looking for the next conversation, or they're looking down at their phone, you know, constantly. We feel those sorts of things. But genuine concern is very powerful and it's very, very rare. But it always is increasing in those who, who are walking with Jesus, which sadly doesn't always include everyone who calls himself Christian. It's why Paul went on to say in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
He's saying, look, Timothy is set apart even among the people who follow Jesus because all these people who say they follow Jesus, they all seek their own interests. They don't seek the interests of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, he's genuinely concerned for you. Tri-City, it's really easy for an introvert to seek solitude. It's really easy for an extrovert to seek activity. It's easy for all of us to seek our own comfort, but it's hard for us to seek genuine concern for others. In fact, I'd go further and say it's actually impossible. It's an impossibility because the word genuine is there. See, genuine means that it's authentic. It means it's not being, Timothy's not pretending. He's not trying to conjure this up. It's just something that's coming up from within him. This authentic concern for others is born out of born out of a real love that Timothy's experienced. He's more interested in what Jesus is than what he is. Which leads to the first common reality of our growth in Jesus. Our first point, our first point is this. When it comes to growing in Jesus, we can't force it. We can't force it. See, the Christian life, Tri-City, the Christian life is a life that begins, middles, and ends with grace. It's all grace. The problem, though, is that sometimes we think about growing in Jesus like the way we think about a home renovation. If you've been through one of those, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it, you're sleeping with exposed studs and insulation everywhere. The kids are they're dying. You know, your wife's upset and whatever. You know, and we just figure, man, if we can just put our minds to this thing, mind over matter, sacrifice long enough, work hard enough, then we can get the job done. And eventually you do. The Christian life is nothing like that. The Christian life begins, middles, and ends with grace. We don't grow in Jesus by working harder. We grow in Jesus by leaning harder. And that's why I've been making a big deal already this morning about the fact that we need to stop faking it. We need to get honest with ourselves. Man, for those here who would consider yourself Christian, just be honest if, if you know, Jesus isn't at the forefront of your pursuits right now. Because unless we're honest about our shortcomings, we're never going to be driven to God's grace. See, as long as we're pretending, as long as we put this pressure on ourselves to just say the right things and do the right things and look the right way and serve in the right capacities and all that sort of stuff, we, we can excuse ourselves from needing grace and never grow in Jesus. Because even something as simple as genuine concern for others is beyond our ability to accomplish on our own. Take Galatians 5, for example. In Galatians chapter 5, we have this list. This list of nine things, and they're called, we call them fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, excuse me. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I got all of them. But we, got, we have these fruit of the Spirit. Now, the problem with this list is that sometimes I, I, I observe people, uh, they read a list like that, and they think, okay, so what I have to do, if I want to grow in Jesus, if I want to walk with God, then I've got to act more loving, and then I'm more like God. Or I've got to be more patient. Or I've got to be more at peace. And so we try to put these things into practice. It is exactly the opposite. It goes exactly the opposite way. This is not a list of commands. This is a description of a personality. The fruit of the Spirit is a description of what God the Spirit is like. Which means as we walk with him by God's grace in and through the person and work of Jesus, his personality just begins to rub off on us. 
It's a transformation that happens from the inside out. When we don't find these things in us, the solution is not to act more like them. The solution is to run to our Father, run to his grace. See, what we need to do if we want to grow in Jesus, I know I'm belaboring this first point, but it's just so important. What we need to do if we want to grow in Jesus is we need to go fill the prescription that the great physician has given us. And the prescription is really simple. It's prayer. We go to him and we ask. We just say, I want to grow in you. I I fall short. Would you help me? Would you accelerate my growth in Christ's likeness? And here's the thing. When we pray a prayer like that, it's extremely dangerous. It's because God only ever answers that prayer one way. I promise you. It's a dangerous prayer that leads to our second point. The second common reality of growing in Jesus. Have a look at verse 22 with me. In 22 to 24, Paul writes, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. All I want to see in this verse is that one word in verse 22, proven. Notice Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's growth in Jesus had to be demonstrated There was no other way to do this. Again, this wasn't abstract theory, right? God's not looking us for us to grow in our our intellects and then call ourselves Christian. This wasn't abstract theory. This was practical, on the ground stuff. Timothy's transformation was evidenced in his life. So first point, we can't force it, our growth in Jesus. Second, we can expect to be tested in it. Now, uh, when I was in high school, I didn't like taking tests. I didn't like written tests especially. Now, it wasn't because I wasn't smart. I was extremely smart, like crazy smart, right? You can tell that just by looking at me, I know. And so, I'm just totally joking. You don't know me, and so I have to be careful with my humor here. Uh, but, but, but I didn't like taking tests. In fact, I resented it. So in grade 12, I, I foolishly decided to do a bunch of math to get out of doing some math. So what I did was I went and I, dis- I figured out what, you know, what grade point average I need to carry in each of my classes in order to get out of, just not show up for the final exam. And just not show up at all. Not show up for a final, not show up for a provincial. Now, in my research, I realized that I would have to write English. There was no way of getting out of that. English provincial, you have to write that if you want to graduate. And I did want to graduate, so I had to write that one. So every other class, I kept a very high grade point average. And then final exam or provincial exam day came, and I was just MIA. I just wasn't there, which I took great pleasure in. And then I took even greater pleasure in the fact that when my final transcript, transcript came in the mail, I passed everything with about 51%, <laughs> right? My math was spot on, so I felt very pleased. Unfortunately, Tri-City, that kind of a workaround doesn't work in the Christian life. It's not available to us. There's no growth in Jesus that God doesn't give us the opportunity to prove. There's no growth in Jesus, none. There's not an area that we grow in in Christ that God doesn't give us an opportunity to prove, which is why it's a dangerous prayer to pray and ask God to accelerate our growth in Christ-likeness, which is why it's dangerous if we find that we're not really you know, focused or desiring this to ask God to change that because he will, and then he'll test us in it. 
And scripture is really clear about this dynamic. It's why, for example, example Hebrews, Hebrews 12 verse 6 uh, says that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's why walking with Jesus can make life more challenging, not less. It's why when we come to him, we're called to take up our cross. See, God's not afraid to put the grace that he's worked in our lives to the test. I mean, it's his grace. It's his grace working through the faith that he's given us. It's the power of his spirit. He's not testing us to see how good we are. He's allowing us opportunity to grow in our, in our Lord and in our Savior. When we talk about discipline, like in Hebrews 12 there, we're not talking about punishment, by the way. Jesus took all of our punishment for us. What we're talking about is like a master horticulturalist who's, who's training up a shrub or training up a tree to grow a specific way. So he lops off a branch here. He trims a bud there. He wraps some wire around, you know, the, the tree trunk and the branches to lean it a little bit more to the right and then stretch it up towards the light that's nourishing it. He's constantly working on us, which means brothers and sisters, that the Christian life, the Christian life is often extremely uncomfortable. It often includes a great deal of suffering. But that suffering is only temporary. God is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We're being conformed to the image of God's Son. You know, Melissa and I, uh, my wife and I, we had an opportunity to pray a dangerous prayer like this about 14 months into our marriage. We've been married for just over 10 years now. uh, And 14 months in, uh, there was this thing that happened. So for the first year, you know, I was doing really well. I was managing a company. We were living in Cologne at the time. I was managing a company in Vernon. Uh, Again, really great rhythms in our life. We had plans, you know, start a family, buy a home, do all that kind of thing. Um, We were just enjoying life a lot. But we started to feel this internal sense of call. This, man, it feels like God's trying to do something with us. And so, again, 14 months into our marriage, I remember this night I was watching a Canucks game. I just finished the game. I am one of those life, long-suffering, lifelong fans of the Canucks. Uh, you can feel pity for me if you want to. That's okay. Uh, it's fair. So I just finished the Canucks game, and then I called my wife over to the living room, and I said, let's, let's pray. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know if we were supposed to chase this sense of call or if God just brings it to us. I didn't know what to do. And so we got down on our knees in the living room and we just prayed, God, if you want to change anything in our lives, you go ahead and change it. We'll submit to you. And if you don't want to change anything, that's fine too. We will just keep going and count on you, expect you to bring this call uh, to us. Two weeks later, everything changed. Two weeks later, I wound up in the hospital. They told me without immediate medical intervention, I had a week left to live. In the same week, in the same week as that, we had all, all the, all, every dime that we owned, plus several thousand more, tens of thousands more actually, stolen through identity theft. Uh, so everything shut down. It was also happened to be November 2008 when the stock market crashed, which means with no access to any kind of cash, with no liquidity whatsoever, we had to realize all of our losses by pulling everything out to live on for the next year while I recovered in the hospital. God, if you want to change anything, you go ahead and change it. We'll submit to you. That's a dangerous prayer. Two weeks later, he changed absolutely everything. See, we thought we were being good servants. Where it led us was close to death, which is exactly where Paul goes next. Have a look at verse 25 with me. Paul writes this. He says, I have thought it necessary 
to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now you need to know Epaphroditus was originally from, from Philippi. Right, I already mentioned that at the beginning. So he was from Philippi. He's part of this church. They sent him to Paul with some money, some support for Paul. And then while he's there, the plan is, hey, Epaphroditus, stay and help Paul in any way you can. Epaphroditus goes, great. He wants to serve God. He wants to serve Paul. He wants to serve the church. He's praying this kind of a prayer. God, make me useful to you. He goes out. What happens? He almost dies. He comes within an inch of his life which is what we read in verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. So first we saw that we can't force our growth in Jesus, but then we, we, we can confess it to him in prayer and he'll take care of it for us. Second, we saw that we'll always be tested in the growth in Jesus that God brings about in our lives. And now we're seeing what that testing looks like. I mean, look at Epaphroditus. He puts his life on the line to serve God, steps out in a major way, and it leads him to his deathbed. There's a third common reality of growing in Jesus that we need to see here. And it's the same one that Missy, my my wife Melissa, and I were learning after God answered our prayer far faster and, and in ways that we just never imagined. Our third point is that our growth in Jesus is seen in our suffering. See, I said the Christian life is a life of grace. Begins, middles, and ends with grace. That's true. The Christian life, though, is also a life of discipleship. To become a Christian means we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, which means we follow one who suffered. So in order to be conformed to the image of the one we're following, it means we're going to have to suffer as well. This testing that God calls to, this testing of the work that he's doing in our lives is proven worth. He's showing in you and in me, just like he showed in Timothy, this will include uh, suffering. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that our growth in Jesus is evidenced by suffering in the sense that if you're not suffering, you're not growing in Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that as we grow in Jesus, it will be evidenced, it will be made manifest, it will be seen through suffering, in suffering. So what does it look like? What does it look like to suffer and to see the fruit of growing in Jesus at the same time? Have a look again at verse 26. Paul tells us that Epaphroditus was almost dead, but at that point he had only one thing on his mind. The Philippian church. Can we just, can we just, you know, all admit together that's not natural? Like, that's not normal. This is not what we do, right? Suffering turns us into narcissists, right? I mean, the common cold for many of us is enough to turn us into egomaniacs that just destroy and run roughshod over everybody around in our lives. I can feel the internal amens. It's cold and flu season. I, I know it's happening right now. There are spouses jabbing other spouses. I understand this. I, one time, when I, when I uh, early in ministry, one of, my, uh, one of the pastoral internships I did early on, I worked with seniors, So I got to know this quite well. Here's one thing I learned uh, working with seniors, a large number of, of seniors. We do not naturally drift towards sanctification over time. Growing in Jesus doesn't happen automatically the longer we call ourselves Christian. It just doesn't happen. It's why most seniors are incredibly grouchy. 
and not nice and they're rude and they're very intolerant. But then you meet a few and some of them are in this room today. You meet a few who are incredibly sweet. They're incredibly focused on other people. They're incredibly willing to open their minds, open their hearts and open their lives to people and things they don't even understand because culture has been changing so fast, but they are focused on others. Listen, most of the older people around us, they are suffering. We know from scripture and we know from experience that our lives, they waste away. We break down. Pain increases. Chronic pain increases. We suffer the more we grow. evidence of growing in Jesus that we see through our suffering is this, is this ability to let go of self-obsession and instead be free to focus on others. So what's being revealed in you right now? Maybe there's an area where, where you're suffering in some ways. Maybe it's small, maybe it's big. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe, uh, maybe there's something like that in your life. I know some of you in this room and I know the suffering you do experience because we've talked about it. But what's being revealed in you in that? Is your suffering re- revealing your growth in Christ by an impulse to care for others or are the difficulties you are experiencing today, are you using them as an excuse, as a reason to get out of this growth, a reason to just turn inward, focus on self and call it good, to move towards self-protection and self-focus instead? Look, suffering in our lives is like a release valve for whatever is in us. Growing in Christ, you'll see that through suffering. Not growing in Christ, you'll see that too. Which leads to the fourth and final common reality of growing in Jesus that I want to look at with you today. In verse 29 to 30, Paul, still talking about Epaphroditus, writes this. He says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The last thing that Paul wants to say to the church in Philippi has to do with how they're going to treat Epaphroditus when he returns. Now, it's kind of awkward because Epaphroditus is standing right there, right as they read this letter to the church. So I don't, this, is, this is kind of weird, but he's standing right there. So he's already returned. He brought this letter back with him. And Paul says, look, when he comes, I want you to receive him joyfully and I want you to honor him. As we've seen, Epaphroditus and Timothy are both being held up here as examples of what Paul's calling the Philippians church to. These are living illustrations of all the exhortations we've seen so far in this chapter. Put others before yourself. Lay your life down. Walk in the power of God's spirit. So these are illustrations, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And and Paul's using these illustrations to highlight what he's calling the Philippian church to experience. The kind of growth in Jesus that they're being called to. Which means that part of what Paul was calling them to as they grew in Christ was to celebrate that exact same growth in others. This is very important. This is very important and and it's very interesting, at least to me. See, nothing about the Christian life is purely individualistic. We have a very individualistic culture, right? It says just look out for number one, take care of yourself. But nothing about the Christian life is purely individualistic. We grow together. This is a team sport. We are a family. There's no way to grow in Christ and yet become more and more divided from his family, from your brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters. Which is part of the reason why he's given us the church. Which means that one of the ways that we can see who's growing in Jesus around us 
is by looking around, even looking around in a room like this this morning, and to notice who's at work celebrating that growth in others. So, so who, who can you count on? Uh, who can you count on to send you an encouraging note? You know, as, as they see how God's working in your life, who's that person for you? Who's that person in this community who, who's doing that work, encouraging others in their walk with Christ? More importantly, who can count on you to encourage them? Who are you focusing on? Who are you noticing around? As you look around at the people in your life, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you look around and see, man, that person's growing in Jesus. I'm gonna encourage them in that today. I'm gonna celebrate that. I'm gonna celebrate them with joy and I'm gonna find a way to honor them. Because this is part of, this is an integral part of what it means to grow in Jesus. We're not focused on self. We're actually practically focused on others, not just their needs, not just making the meals and all that sort of thing, which is really important, but also celebrating what God's doing in them. By this point in your walk through the book of Philippians that you've been in together as a church, uh, you should be noticing a really repetitive pattern. Growing in Jesus will always mean the priority of self gives way to the priority of others always the way that it is. There's a tiny little book uh, that I really love. It's, it's by Tim Keller. Uh, it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I'm sure many of you have read it. It's tiny. It's great. Um, in fact, my wife and I bought a whole bunch of copies uh, for people in our community group years ago. Uh, and I read and reread it every so often because it's just so beautiful and it's just such a helpful reminder. Let me read a little bit of a longer excerpt from it for you because I think it makes this point really well. So Keller, talking about C.S. Lewis, says this. He says, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity makes a brilliant observation about gospel humility at the very end of his chapter on pride. If we were to meet a truly humble person, Keller writes, and Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember for meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It's an end to thought such as I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. That's the freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. This blessed rest is what we receive as we grow in Jesus. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the liberation of self-obsession and of narcissism that, it just seem, that just seems so normal in the culture we live in today, even in the church today. The kind of self-forgetfulness that frees up our mental and emotional capacity so we can actually spend on other people because we don't need that much for ourselves. God's in control of what's happening with us. We trust him with that anyway. It's all grace, beginning, middle, and end. He's doing the work so we can, we're freed up for each other. You know, some of us get discouraged when we look around and we see growth that happens in other people. And we feel badly about the lack of growth that we see in ourselves. There's a better way for you. Far better than that discouragement is to look around, see the exact same growth in other people, and then just celebrate it. And in celebrating the growth taking place in them, you will accelerate your own, your own growth by God's grace. 
That's the amazing way that this all works together. So as I wrap up, let me give you one practical way that you could do this in the next few days. And it's just a suggestion that I feel as a guest speaker uh, that it's, it's, it's just a unique opportunity for, for me to present for you. Uh, I've known, well, we've known Matt and Don for, for eight years. Uh, six of those eight years, Matt and I have worked in the same ministries together. Uh, so we've worked fairly closely together for, for quite a while. Uh, and, and one thing I've learned, one thing that I know, here's what it is about Matt and Don. The fact that they have stepped up to lead this local church, to lead this new church plant, is evidence of the kind of growth we're talking about here today. It's evidence of the kind of growth that we've seen so far in Philippians chapter 2 all the way through. And that kind of growth is worth celebrating. See, here's what happens often, especially when it comes to leaders, especially leaders in ministry, pastors. uh, We feel very entitled that, man, my pastor needs to be an encouragement to me. And we forget to do the same for them. it's, it's, It's ironic because actually that can end up stunting our own growth. When we're more focused on what others are or are not doing for us and we forget that we're supposed to be reciprocating that exact same love and encouragement to them. So can I make a suggestion? In the next few days, find a way. Pray about it. Ask God to show you a way to honor your leaders. To honor Pastor Matt. To honor Don. Maybe it's a meal, you know, taking them out for a meal. They've got a small army living at home. So maybe, you know, maybe it's just like taking care of their kids, right? And, 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 and just give them a night off, something like that. Maybe just an encouraging note or an email or a text message or I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not even Matt and Don. Maybe it's somebody else in this room or somebody else in your life that you can encourage and you can celebrate what God's doing in them. But please, would you do something Would you put something of what we've talked about today into practice? Because otherwise, all we are doing is plain make-believe. We're doing no one any good unless we do something with this. Unless we recognize our shortcomings and go to God in prayer and ask for his grace to help us grow in Jesus. Unless we look for opportunities in our life, circumstances that sort of seem uh, like testing and pray for God's strength to to show well, to prove well, Unless we look for opportunities to celebrate, to celebrate what God's doing in others. Not out of a sense of obligation, but because Jesus already modeled this for us. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus showed us what it looks like to put others first. He showed us what it looks like to celebrate the good in others. Even people like us in whom there was no good thing until God came for us and redeemed us and gave us his spirit. Because our, because our growth in Jesus is a, result in, is a result of grace, we can't force it, but we go to him in prayer, we ask for help. Because this is practical, it's real life, it's not theoretical, it's not make-believe, we will be tested in our growth in Jesus. Because we are disciples of one who suffered, we will suffer along with him. And in that suffering, our growth in him will be evidenced. And because our great King, our God, our Lord, our Savior has put others even before himself. We we are now called to do the exact same. That's my prayer for you as a church. Let me pray for us and then we'll go into a time of response together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your life. 
Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the hope and the grace and the freedom that we experience in you. Father, I pray, I pray for all those here today who would identify as sons and daughters of God, as Christians, as those bought and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot. God, I pray for us. I pray that you would free us. Free us from any of the the chains or the deception uh, of, of ourselves or of the enemy that continues to hold us back from growing in you. I pray that you'd release the people who make up Tri City Church to grow in Jesus in power and in strength. Lord, that the Spirit would be so present here that as as men and women walk into this place, Lord, their hearts would just be laid bare and they would come to encounter the living God through through the people who belong to that God. And Father, I pray now as we respond that you would make our response pleasing to you. That you would help us to respond in faithfulness and in joy and in all the ways that the gospel, that the gospel leads us to respond. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.